Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. Brother Zach, so we'll get going here so I can keep track of my time. Let's turn to Matthew 6 19. We're going to start right off the bat in the Word of God tonight. Scripture says, Lay not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up treasure, but lay up yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Now dropping down to verse 24, says, No man can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon, which is the biblical word for money. Let's go to God in prayer tonight. Ask us, just before we start tonight, let's ask each, sometimes we come to church and we hear things and we're like, oh, that's for so-and-so or that's for so-and-so, but what we're going to cover tonight, it can apply to all of us. And you say, well, I'm already a giver. I'm already a tither. I'm already a good steward, but we can always grow. We can always do better. We can always grow spiritually. And I'm asking tonight that as we pray, let's search our hearts and say, God, is there anything in my heart that's holding me back from following your word when it comes to my finances? If there's any bit of stubbornness in me, if there's any bit of defiance, God, search me, know me, the scripture says. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So as we pray tonight, take a moment and just ask God to speak to your heart what he wants you to hear tonight. Let's talk to God. God, we thank you so much, God, that you've given us your word, God, that we can learn from, God, that we can, Lord, understand the ways that you would have us to live. God, I pray tonight, God, search me out, God. Lord, search my heart, God. I pray, Lord, that you would let my life please you, God. I pray, God, that in the area of finances, God, in the area of money, God, that I would be faithful to do according to your word. God, that I would choose to serve you with my finances, God, that I would please you in my life, God, that it would not stand in the way, God, of doing your will. God, search me out, God. Lord, help me, God, to want to be like you, God, to be a giver, God. Lord, to be a blesser, God. Lord, and I thank you. I praise you, God. Speak to your people tonight. And I give you the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. Amen. All right, you can be seated tonight. Last week, we talked about stewards are givers. And we talked about some principles in the word of God. And we talked about in order for money not to dictate our life, we're a giver. We got to give it away, right? When we allow it to flow out of our life, then it cannot have control of us, and we won't serve it. So tonight, we're going to talk about some ways you can make it your goal to serve God with your finances. If we ask God, God, help me with my financial decisions, and if we make those decisions God-centered, then we're going to start on a fruitful journey to be blessed and be a blessing. Now, being a good steward starts with obedience to God's word. God gave us his scripture, and we learned so much from the word in so many different areas. How to live, what it takes to be saved, how to get to heaven, how we should pray, how we should do so many things, how we should dress, how we should talk, how we should walk. And the area of money is no different. God gives us clear instructions in his word. So at the starting line, 
we got to first start with the basics. And so we're going to start out with just the basic core of tithing. You might say I'm already a tither, but you know what? I am too, but I can still learn from the word of God, not just what to do, how to do it, why we do it. And if you're not a tither, I encourage you to lean in tonight and listen to what the word of God says and ask God to plant in you a desire to be a tither. Tithe literally means just a tenth part, a tenth part. We give 10% of our increase to God. Now, in the Old Testament, when it was uh, done, they gave things like grain, fruit, animals. That was their currency. That was the type of things they did in trade. Now, our method of currency in our generation, in our society, is money, actual money, coins, dollar bills, things like that. And that's how we give of our increase to God. Now, tithing is required from our increase, the scripture says, so that's literally 10% of our gross income. Now, what do you mean by gross income, Sister McGee? Well, that's before taxes are taken out. That's before insurance premiums are deducted. That's before things come out for your 401k plan, things like that, because it's the amount of money we earned, what our increase was. Now, it's important to note that tithing was instituted in the book of Genesis, and this was prior to the law being given. But yet it is still something that is carried out and is required today, even though we live under the dispensation of grace. Now, a lot of the things I'm going to cover tonight come from the book that I utilized last week, Randy Alcorn's book about money and eternity. And I wish I had it here to show you again tonight, but I don't. But a lot of things that I'm bringing to you are straight from his book, but I have a whole lot of scripture, don't I, Brother Zach? I'm not, I feel like I gave you a list of pastor scriptures tonight, literally, I know, I'm so sorry. Um, But you can't go wrong understanding it comes from the word of God. So I don't want you to think that I'm just giving you a lot of opinions by an author of a book that I read. I want you to see how the things that are being taught come from the word of God. Because we can argue with a person, but we can't argue with the word, right? Amen. In the Old Testament, no one ever had to say, I feel led to tithe or God, would you like me to give of, your, of my first fruits? The answer was already given. Tithing was a requirement, and it was done out of obedience. Now, above and beyond the tithe, the Israelites gave a free will offering. That was above and beyond what was required, and it was a demonstration of love, of joy, of worship. It was their free choosing of the amount. Think about it like this. A father asks his son, Son, I got an old friend, and I want you to take his daughter out. Okay, and the son does it out of obligation because his father asks him to. All right, I'll take her out. But he takes her out. He decides, hmm, kind of like this girl. So he takes her out again, and he takes her out again. At this point, as he continues to take this girl out, he's not doing out of obligation anymore, is he? He's doing it voluntarily because he found out, hey, I really like this girl. He doesn't have to take her out now. He just asked Dad asked him to take her out one time. But now he's continuing to take her out, and he does it because he wants to, right? Well, the Israelites tithed because God told them to. Then they gave above and beyond that free will offerings because they wanted to. But just as the young man would never have fallen in love with the girl if he had refused his father's prompting to go out the first time, the same could be said of the Israelites. If they hadn't first learned the discipline of tithing, they would have never gone on to discover the joy of giving. Deuteronomy 14, 23 says, And thou shalt eat before the Lord thy God in the place which he shall choose to place his name there, the tithe of thy corn, 
of thy wine and of thine oil and the firstlings of thy herds and of thy flocks, that thou mayest learn to fear the Lord thy God always. So it tells them what they should do, and then it tells them why. Because tithing was intended to teach God's people to revere him and to put him first. That thou mayest learn to fear thy God always. To revere. Not fear in the sense of trembling and being afraid, but fear in the sense of respect. In the sense of revering him. Now at one point, the Israelites were disobedient in their tithing. And God said that they were robbing him. A scripture you may have heard before, Malachi 3, verse 8 says, Will a man rob God? Yet ye have robbed me. But ye say, Wherein have we robbed thee? He replied, In tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. And prove me herewith, saith the Lord of hosts, if I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing, that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sake, and he shall not destroy the fruits of your ground, neither shall your vine cast her fruit before the time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts, and all the nations shall call you blessed. Now, I don't think you have to be a Bible scholar to understand the concept being taught in these scriptures because it's very straightforward. Will a man rob God? We know what that means. A robber is someone that takes something that doesn't belong to him, right? The thief. And God replies, yes, you've robbed me. And their question back is, how did we rob you? And he says, well, you robbed me in tithes and offerings. Now, evidently, if he says you robbed me in tithes and offerings, they weren't giving God something that belonged to him. They were keeping it for themselves. And he goes on to say that you're cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me. How many know that if we sin, we're not going to be blessed, right? But he says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in mine house. So here's another reason why tithes are brought into the storehouse, that there might be meat in mine house. Tithes are brought into the church. Tithes are brought into the temple. Tithes are brought into the house of God, that there might be provision, in our day and age, we might say, bring your tithes into the church house because, as I said last week, that's how we're going to keep the lights on. That's how we're going to pay the water bill. That's how we're going to be able to afford to have uh, a mortgage payment, to be able to afford our property. That's how the things happen and how the church is able to function, that there may be meat in mine house, that people come. And if this church building is not here, yes, the church is the body, but we need a place that we can invite people to come in and worship with us, invite people to come in and hear the word of God, that there might be meat in mine house, that the word of God may go forth, right? And he says, do that, and I'll pour you out a blessing you cannot even contain. But not only that, am I not only going to pour out a blessing, but the devourer, the one that would come and destroy some things in your life, He's not going to destroy the fruit of your ground because I will rebuke him. So he goes on to say that even other nations will recognize that you're blessed. Brother Carpenter last week, he began his series on tithing. He does it yearly at his church, and it was just perfect timing that he started it last week. And so I listened to his teaching last week, and he made a statement, and he said, tithing doesn't come from the checkbook. It comes from the heart. We talked about that last week. Giving it comes from the heart. Proverbs 4.23 states, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. So all the issues and the things we deal with in life, they start at the heart. Now, you can do anything for a time. You can do anything for a time. But if your heart is not committed to it, you won't stick with it. 
Someone can make you feel guilty and, and bad enough about something to kind of force you into a mode, okay, fine, I'll do it. But if your heart's not in it, you're not going to stick with it. You're not going to stay with it. You have to ex- we have to examine ourselves and ask God, God, help me to have a heart of submission and obedience to your word because I don't want to just do it and not do it with a joyful heart. So, but tithing now, as it already said, we may start doing it out of duty. We may start doing it out of obedience because we know this is what God's word has said. I've never done it, but I'm going to start doing it. But I can make you a promise. That if you start, and even if you start and it starts out as a duty or an obligation, it will become a delight. It's going to lead to joy, and the more you give, the more you want to give. Because as you give and as God blesses you, you want to increase your offerings. You want to increase your givings to missions. You want to increase your ability to give. Now, we're going to talk about a few statistics on tithing. So, Pastor, if there's anybody that's willing to help me out, if they're willing to take a little slip of paper, we're going to talk about a few statistics, and I'm going to need a microphone. Brother Mason, do you know if this one is the one that we used? We can flip that on. Just take one if you want one, and I'm going to ask you the mic to be passed around, and we're going to talk about some of these statistics now, these statistics came from a place so I can cite my source, nonprofitsource.com, online giving statistics. And these are a lot of statistics and stats and trends about giving. And it was most recently updated April 5th, 2018. Now, what I like about this is a lot of times you can find statistics in books and magazines and stuff, but they're so outdated. They're like 20 years ago. I wanted to find something that was current. So I found some current statistics. So, um, you got a mic? Who's got, who's got a slip over here up front? All right, so let's just start right up here. Brother Alex. And read us what's on your slip of paper. 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income. All right, 80% of Americans only give 2% of their income. Now, recognize every single statistic that is being read is all about church giving. People who claim to give to the church, Christians who claim to give, think about it. 80% of Americans, people who claim to give to the church, only give 2% of their income. All right? Who's got one behind you? You got one, Mariah? Okay, just pass it on back. 37% of regular church attendees, can't read this word. Evangelicals. Evangelicals don't give money to church. So of people, of all the people who regularly attend church... Even those that claim to be an evangelical, 30% of them don't give any money to their church at all. None. They just attend and hope that the person next to them is giving so the lights will be on the next week. All right? Okay, next. Who's got one next? Seven out of ten tithers do so based on their gross and not their net income. Okay, so that's awesome. So seven out of ten people that tithe, 70%, they do it correctly, and they do it based on their gross and not their net income. All right, next. The average giving by adults who attend U.S. Protestant churches is about $17 a week. Let that sink in. The average giving by adults who attend church is about $17 per week. Now, if you have three services a week, they may be throwing in $5 a service. That's what that comes down to. All right, next. Christians are giving 2.5% of their income. During the Great Depression, it was 3.3%. Isn't that unreal? 
Christians gave more to their churches during the Great Depression when they were starving for food than what Christians give now in our society when we have so much. That's really sad. And the statistics, it's not in here, but it will tell you that the more money people make and the wealthier they get, the less they give. And that's proven statistic. All right, next. Only 3 to 5% of the Americans who give to their local church do so through regular tithing. So of all the people that give to their church, what that statistic is telling you is they may give, but only 3 to 5% of those do it by giving regular, consistent tithes. All right, next. 7% of churchgoers have dropped regular giving by 20% or more. So as we've gone on through time, 7% of churchgoers have been dropping their giving rather than increasing, and it's dropped off by more than 20%. All right, next. When surveyed, 17% of Americans state that they regularly tithe. All right, 17% say they tithe regularly. Here's the thing, though. You'll find in statistics that what Americans say they do and what they actually do are two different things. All right, next. Tithers make up only 10 to 25% of a normal con congregation. Okay, so in a church, when you have a regular congregation, only 10 to 25% of the group in that church actually tithe. Everybody else comes, they may give some, but only 10 to 25% of most churches have tithers in their church. All right, next. Eight out of 10 tithers have no credit debt. Now think about that. Eight out of 10 people who tithe have no credit card debt. What do you think about that? That's pretty awesome, ain't it? All right, next. 28% of tithers are debt-free. Almost one-third of those who tithe are debt-free. Doesn't that sound pretty good? All right, next. 75% of those who tithe give 11 through 20% or more of their income far more than the baseline of 10%. All right. So those who tithe, you have one? Here, let me give you one. So those who tithe, and they say they're regular tithers. Now, we know that tithing is 10%. God asks 10%. Anything above that is a voluntary offering. But 77% of those who tithe, they don't just give the 10%. They give anywhere from 11 to 20% and call it their tithes. Isn't that pretty awesome? All right, what you got? 17% of American families have reduced the amount that they give to their local church. So American families aren't increasing their giving, they're decreasing it. All right? So remember how I said, thank you. So remember how I said that what Americans say they do and what they actually do is different? Well, 17%, as we read earlier, said that they regularly tithe. But of Americans, actually only 5% actually do. So those are some pretty heavy statistics to think about. So in light of those statistics, let's do some talking. Now some people might argue and say, oh, but Sister McGee, tithing is an Old Testament practice. However, you can look at every example of New Testament giving and you'll see that it went beyond the tithe. They didn't only tithe, they did that and more. Jesus even affirmed that tithing was practiced in his day because the scripture tells us in Matthew 23, 23, he was speaking to the Pharisees, ye pay tithe of mint 
and anise and cumin and have omitted the weightier matters of the law, judgment, mercy, and faith. These ought ye to have done and not to leave the other undone. What he was saying is, that's good that you're paying tithes off these things. You should do that. But you forgot some of the other weightier matters like mercy and faith. And he says, you should do those. But just in case you thought you, sh you should do this and not the other, don't leave the other undone. In other words, keep tithing, but also you need to start doing this also. You need to have mercy. You need to have faith. Now, if tithing was no longer necessary, this would have been a great moment for Jesus to say, you know, you've really been slacking in these areas. And by the way, you don't have to do that tithing thing anymore. You need to let that aside and start doing some of these. But he didn't say that. He didn't do that. And even throughout the history of the church, the church leaders, they taught it as a requirement for Christian living. Think about the Old Testament. It taught us the Ten Commandments, right? The Ten Commandments. And they're still a part of good Christian living that we believe we should follow, right? We didn't do away with that. Whenever Christ came and fulfilled the law, we didn't say, oh, well, he fulfilled the law. The Old Testament Ten Commandments no longer apply. No, we revere those. Those were given. Those were given to Moses, and we need to follow those. Look at the scripture here in Matthew 5, 17 through 20. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, not one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law till all be fulfilled. Whosoever therefore shall break one of these commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I say unto you, that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, ye shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. So when we entered into the dispensation of grace, now if you're saying, I don't understand what that means, that's after Jesus' de death, burial, and resurrection, we entered into grace, okay? But during that time, the disciples gave more than, than before. Being under grace, it didn't mean that we had a lower level or a lower standard of living than the law. Here's an example. Think about adultery. You know, the scripture says in the Old Testament, thou shalt not commit adultery. In the New Testament, he raised the bar. He said, if you just look on a woman with lust, you've already committed adultery in your heart. He raised the level. He never lowered the bar. He always raised it. But here's the thing. Under the law, they weren't, didn't have the opportunity to be full of the Holy Ghost, full of God. But the Spirit of God that's inside of us, it empowers us to do more. Because we have that. All they had was the law. We don't just have the word. We have the spirit of God to lead and guide us into all truth. And the scripture goes on. We're going to read the scripture in Revelation 6, 14 says, For sin shall not have dominion over you. For ye are not under the law, but under grace. What then? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? God forbid. Know ye not? That to whom ye yield yourselves servants to obey, his servants ye are to whom ye obey, whether of sin unto death or of obedience unto righteousness. But God be thanked that ye were the servants of sin, but ye have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered unto you. So it says, don't think we should just throw it all away because now we're under grace and not in the law. He says, God forbid. We've got to serve him. And he said, God be thanked. Because we used to be a servant of sin, but no longer. We've obeyed from the heart. Going back to, we've got to obey him from the heart. And if we get full of the Holy Ghost and get God's spirit in our heart, he will lead and guide us into all truth. Now, some people 
don't pay tithes and offerings just because they've never been taught the necessity of doing so. And that's why when you come to church, you'll hear things taught more than once over and over, things like tithing, holiness, baptism in Jesus' name, basics that are regularly taught because we must learn what God expects from us to be a good Christian. And if it's not taught, how will we know? Scripture says, how will they hear without a preacher? God expressed clearly in the scripture I read earlier that if we don't give of our tithes and offerings, we're a thief and a robber. We are robbing God, right? And scripture does tell us that no sin shall enter into heaven, right? No flesh shall glory in his presence. The Bible also tells us in James 4, 17, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good, and doeth it not, to him it is sin. What that tells me is once I come to the understanding of what God wants me to do, then I have a choice to make to do what he's asked me to do, or to choose not to do it. And if I know to do good, the scripture says, and I don't do it, then to me it is sin. And I know that sin shall not enter into heaven. So God puts it on us. If it's been taught and we've learned it, then that falls onto our shoulders to make the decision, and that responsibility becomes ours. So we're building a case here. We're learning about the word and what God's asking us. Once we learn of a requirement to be a Christian, for mature Christian living, and then we say, well, I don't want to follow that. Then we need to examine ourselves and say, why? What is keeping me from fulfilling the will of God in my life? What is it that's holding me back? And that's where we examine ourselves. Now, Alcorn says in his book that what he has found is that many who argue against tithing do so simply because it makes it easier to justify their own lack of not giving. And he said we should look at Matthew 6, 21 and consider the converse of that scripture as well. I don't have it up there. I read it before at the beginning that where your treasure is there, your heart will be also. Well, he says the converse of that is also true. Where our treasure isn't shows where our heart isn't. So if we haven't invested our treasure into the things of God, then our heart's not invested in the things of God. Now, tithing was mandatory throughout the Bible. Consider the scribes and the Pharisees. They were so, they just, you got to dot every I and cross every T. You got to follow the law explicitly. And as you see, as Jesus walked the earth, what were they constantly trying to do? Find fault with him, right? Find him messing up. Finding him screwing up. Finding him doing things. Oh, you did this on the Sabbath and you weren't supposed to. Constantly trying to accuse him, trying to point a finger and find fault with him. But do we ever... One time, see, scribes and Pharisees accused Jesus of not tithing. Not one time. Never. It was expected and it was done. But now under grace, which we live, even more is expected. Remember how the disciples went one mile and he said, now go two? And applies to us. Here's a good analogy for you. For most of us across the country, wearing a seatbelt is the law, right? It's the law. Now, has it always been the law? No, hasn't always been the law, but they realized it was a good idea, and they made it a law. Why? Because it saves lives, right? Wear your seatbelt. It saves lives. Well, what if they decided just to repeal that law? Say, it's no longer a law to wear your seatbelt. Would you get in the car and say, okay, kids, take your seatbelt off. You know what? We don't have to wear them anymore. That legality is gone, and we're not going to live under that. Throw out those car seats don't need them anymore. It's no longer the law. In fact, just hold that baby in your lap. No one would do that, right? Because we've seen how it's such a good idea. It saves lives. So just for argument's sake, 
If you have a hard time grasping the biblical teaching of tithing, you for sure can't ignore the practical benefits of it. Now understand, I've sat here and just went through a lot of scripture showing us that tithing is biblical, and tithing is something that God wants us to do. But even above and beyond the being obedient to his word, let's look at some of the benefits if we do tithe. Tithing will move our hearts towards God. Tithing will help us keep God first in our life. Tithing, even in the midst of job loss, financial struggles, car repair, it keeps us in a mode of trusting God for what we can't see. Tithing can bring peace that I'm being obedient to God's word. And if I'm doing my part, then he has to hold up his end of the bargain too. He's got to open those windows of heaven and pour me out a blessing I can't contain. Now, I'm not going to stand up here and say that, oh, if you pay tithes, you're never going to have a financial problem or a big car repair or something go wrong. No. But God uses those things to build faith in us, and he always will take care of our needs if we're honoring him. Now, that doesn't mean he'll, we'll always have our wants, but you know what? If we have food and we have raiment, that's what he said our needs were. And many of us got a whole lot more than that. If you ate today and you got clothes on your back, your needs are met. Tithing keeps our hearts and minds fixed towards heaven because that's where we're storing up our treasure. Tithing allows us to make a difference in God's kingdom beyond what we can do personally, physically in our own little circle. Because when we make an investment financially, it can have far-reaching effects, just like Pastor Red tonight when he was talking about the missionary work overseas. Look where that money went and how much it benefited the missionaries. And how many souls are going to be in heaven saved full of the Holy Ghost because of investments made through tithing and giving. Tithing is a significant factor in spiritual growth. In fact, Alcorn went on to talk to 10 families who began tithing. And seven out of 10 of them stated that this one decision in their life to start tithing caused a spiritual breakthrough in their life. Areas where they had been struggling, feeling like they were hitting a ceiling, feeling like they had somewhere where they needed help. And seven out of 10 said that this one decision brought that spiritual breakthrough in their life. All right? So let's talk about a few reasons that people might give for not tithing. They might say tithing is legalism. Now, any legitimate practice can be done with a legalistic attitude, right? But in those cases, the fault lies in our heart, not with the practice itself. It's our attitude, not the practice, that's at fault. Sometimes legalism is basically a label that's put on things, that's done a lot in the world, when they want to cover an unwillingness to be obedient to God's word. Well, that's legalistic, so we don't have to do that. And it's just kind of thrown on there as a label. But many Christians can become uncomfortable because the Holy Ghost convicts, doesn't he? It convicts us. And I don't want to be convicted of a failure to give. Number two reasons people give for not tithing. I need to pay off my debts instead of tithing. Well, first we have to ask... Is God responsible for the decisions I have made? Possibly unwisely, maybe not. That's put me in debt. Did God put me in debt? No. Well, let's say the debt is legit. You know, um, several of us have had vehicle issues. Maybe we've had medical issues, things that's caused us to have debt. But if we have something that we have to pay, does that cancel out my first priority, which is my debt to God? It doesn't. But here's the thing. If we obey God and make good 
on what we owe him, he will help us to pay off the debts to others. But here's the thing. I must not rob God in order to pay men. God gets his first. He's number one. Number three, if I'm going to tithe eventually, I need to move toward it slowly. Won't God understand if I haven't been giving at all, if I just start at 3% or maybe 5%? Well, what if I replied and said, you know, for several years now, I've been robbing about 10 convenience stores a year, but this year I'm just going to rob five. Yeah, hey, that sounds pretty good. I mean, hey, it's five less than what I was robbing. I mean, come on, right? The solution to robbing God, it's kind of a silly analogy, but the solution to robbing God is not to start robbing him less, but not to rob him at all, right? All right, number four, I just can't afford to tithe. Yes, you can, you can. Tithing is God's will. He promises to provide for those who trust and obey him. Here's the truth of the matter. We're a whole lot safer living off that blessed 90% than keeping that entire cursed 100%. No one benefits from a tithe that they hold on to because we cannot keep what belongs to God. Now, if it seems that the amount of the tithe is a lot, like, man, that is a big chunk of money, well, then you should be really grateful because that means you got a really good income. Because it's only 10%. The larger your tithe, the more money you bring home and the bigger the amount you're keeping, right? Because it's always 10%. When stated, I can't afford to tithe, Alcorn replied, if your income was reduced by 10%, would you just up and die? Of course, they reply, no. We'll find a way to manage. We'll find a way to get by. There's your proof that you can afford to tithe. Because it's not about ability. It's about desire, and it's about want to. So I'm asking you to consider stepping out by faith in God and obedience and watch him honor his word and bless your 90% because he will. 10% means that all tithes are proportional. It's not a fixed amount. If your income is small, your tithe would be small. But God will bless no matter the amount because you're being obedient to give what belongs to him. Ask yourself this question. If someone owed you money and they never paid you, would you feel cheated and robbed of what belonged to you? We know people in the world sure do because there's courtrooms full of people suing people because I lent them money and they never gave it back to me and they said they would. Well, we owe God his 10% and he's cheated every time we get paid and don't give him his portion. God wants our first fruits. He wants our first fruits. That means we don't give God our leftovers. We don't say, God, I'm going to write out all my bills, and then if I have any left, I'll see if I have enough to tithe. No, that's backwards. God is first. If we say God is first in our life, then God's first in our life. So that means when you get paid, the first thing you do is you sit down and you write out that tithe check, first thing. Then write out the rest of your bills, right? Amen? Tithing is from our increase. We t in fact, it's increase. Anything that comes in that increases, all right? We tithe off money that comes into our hands, anything. Y'all, I'm serious. Birthday money, we tithe on it. Yard sale proceeds, we tithe on it. We've even tithed off gift cards. People give you a $50 gift card, and we've tithed $5 off of it because that's increase. That's $50 I didn't have to take out of my pocket and go spend at Walmart. That's $50 I could use. So $5 of that went to God. 
If it comes in, it's income. It doesn't matter where it comes from. All right? Now, being a good steward doesn't just stop at tithing. It also means being a giver, right? Because he says, where have you robbed me? He said, in tithes and offerings, right? So let's talk about being a giver, a giver above and beyond the tithe, all right? Now, first of all, the command is to give, period. Christians should give, no exceptions. Now, when it comes to free will offerings, which is your offerings above and beyond the tithe, that's between you and God, what you decide. There's no set figure or set amount on what you should give as far as the amount. You listen to God speak into your heart and decide what to give. Not all will give the same, but all should and will give. 2 Corinthians 9 and 7 says, Every man according as he purposeth in his heart, so let him give. Okay? Every man, no exceptions, every man according as he purposeth in his heart, let him give. Okay? Now, statistics say that four out of ten churchgoers, they give nothing. And two out of ten give next to nothing. So four and two together, six-tenths, 60% of churchgoers give nothing or next to nothing at all to their church. The act of giving is a vivid reminder that our life is about God. It takes the focus off us. It's not about us. It releases us from that selfishness or that self-centeredness to where we're being selfless and not self-centered but Christ-centered. As long as I still have something, I believe I own it. But when I give it away, I'm relinquishing. I'm relinquishing control. I'm relinquishing that power that comes from money, and I'm allowing God to use it. Number two, give generously. Number one was give. Number two, give generously. You remember the story in the scripture about the woman who anointed Jesus' feet with that costly perfume? And what did the observers around her do? They're like, oh, my word, how can you allow that? That's so wasteful. How can you? We could have went and sold that. and get, they, Oh, they were upset. That was just so wasteful. And they even rebuked her. And Jesus, what did he tell? He said, leave her alone, that she has done a beautiful thing, and she did it out of love. He was so moved by her giving, in fact, that he went on to say that what she had done would be shared throughout the world, wherever the gospel would go, that it would be a memorial to her. He was so moved by her that her dedication, that her giving would never be forgotten. He was so moved by that because she gave something so costly that he, re he rewarded her. Love, when we love someone, it'll generate lavish giving. We want to show God. God, I pour my praise on you. I pour myself out. We want to show our love. And one of the ways we do that is through our giving. So what is generous? Well, it's going to be different for each of us. But I encourage you, if you don't tithe at all, start with tithing and then start stretching your giving from there. Start with the 10 and then start adding to it. Number three, give regularly. Many people don't give at all, as we've seen through, through the statistics. But others who do, they do it real sporadically. Some people don't give when they're on vacation. If I miss church because of the flu, I'm not making up that offering. Oh, I was out of town. Oh, well, if you're out of town when the mortgage is due, you're either going to have to pay it a little early or a little late, but you're still going to have to pay that payment, right? So if we miss church, 
we still need to make sure that we're doing our giving. Why should my giving to God be any less regular and any less disciplined than the way that I am disciplined in the other areas of my life to give faithfully to the bills? Because if I don't pay my light bill, the lights are going out. If I don't pay my house payment, eventually they're going to come knocking and they're going to repossess my house. We need to be faithful and regular in our giving to God. Should I get a financial bonus because I miss church? Well, I miss church, so hey, that's an extra $20 in my pocket. No, we should plan and purposely plan. This is what I'm going to give to God. This is what I feel God is asking me to give. And if I miss a service, next service I'm putting in double because I'm going to make up for when I missed. In 1 Corinthians 16.2, Paul told the church, On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, so that when I arrive, no last-minute collections have to be taken. The money has been consistently given, and it's ready. So that when he showed up, they weren't scrounging around, oh, we need money for the poor, and we need money for this. The people, when he showed up, they faithfully gave regularly. The first day of every week, they planned, they gave, they set it aside so that when he arrived, the money they needed for the ministry, for the work of God, for the poor, it was already there. So what we can take from this, if you get paid weekly, give weekly. If you get paid every two weeks, give every two weeks. If you get a check once a month, give once a month and so on. If I get a bonus, if I get a gift, it's unexpected, I set aside my giving to God immediately. The greatest thing about giving right away is it's going to remove that temptation to rob God and use it for something else. Because if we hold on to it and we haven't set aside God's portion, I guarantee you the enemy of our soul is going to come along and find a way to, oh, well, you know what? I didn't set that aside, and two days later something happened, and I really need that money. We set it aside for God. We get it out of our hands. We give it away so that we don't have the temptation. It's a no-brainer, as I said, that the church survives by regular giving of its members. A church has monthly needs, and they're only met through the contributions of the people that come. Number four, give deliberately. I already stated it a little bit, but let me just kind of clarify. Giving requires thought and determination. It's not done haphazardly. Oh, I might. Oh, well, if I have some money in my wallet, I might throw a couple dollars in. No, we have to be deliberate. We have to have forethought. We have to plan ahead. We have to be intentional about what we're going to give and how we're going to give and how much. Because giving shouldn't be haphazard. Giving should be accompanied with prayer and with worship. That's why taking up an offering or, or tithes, it's part of our worship service. We don't set aside a separate time to say, okay, church is over and 10 minutes, come back and give your... We take it up right in the middle of our worship songs. Are we stopping worship to take up an offering? No. Giving our offerings, giving our tithes, it's part of our worship. And that's the way we should view it. God, all right, here's another opportunity to worship you. I'm going to worship in giving, all right? Giving is at its best when it's a conscious effort that's repeatedly made. Number five, give voluntarily. In the book of Exodus, we read that there was a special need that arose in the building of the tabernacle. And a request was made. And the people began to just come and just pour out bucket loads for the tabernacle. They gave willingly. They gave with free will. They weren't required to do this but they followed what they felt in their heart. And it was so much that at some point they had to say, hey, whoa, 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 okay, we got enough, stop giving. 
I don't think I've ever been in a church where I've heard a pastor say, you all have given enough. You just need to stop giving. I don't think I've ever heard that said. It'd be pretty awesome if we ever got to that point. But the thing is, it would never be a place where we'd ever say stop giving because we know that when it comes into this church, most of it doesn't stay here. We pass it on. Missionaries, channels of blessings, how missions works, it doesn't stay here. It goes on to the work of God because we use what we need to meet the needs of the church and it just we pass it on. I couldn't tell you how many times we've sat in a conference or a camp and they've presented a missionary need or whatnot and God moved on my husband. We've given personally, we've given from the church just because that's, that's just part of it. It's part of giving. And as you progress in your giving, be sensitive because God's going to deal with you not just in regular giving, but there may be times that he deals with you for special needs. And he'll lay it on your heart and say, you know, that inheritance you just got, I want you to take some portion of that, and I want you to take, and I want you to send this extra offering to the missionary. I want you to take this portion, and I want you to use this for such and such in the house of God. God will deal with you at special times to give to an extra need or a special purpose. And many times they may be a need even beyond the regular needs of the church. Number six, give sacrificially. 2 Corinthians 8, 2 through 3 says, how then in a great trial of affliction, the abundance of their joy and their deep poverty abounded unto the riches of their liberality. For to their power I bear record, and beyond their power they were willing of themselves. Now, Sister McGee, what is this scripture saying? It's telling us, number one, that they were poor in deep poverty, right? Deep poverty. They were in a great trial of affliction. But then it talks about the abundance of their joy and how it abounded under the riches of their liberality. What does that mean? They were liberal in their giving, and they had great joy while they were doing it, despite the fact that they were in a great trial of affliction and in deep poverty. Now, is that not amazing? They went above and beyond what they could give and gave it sacrificially. These people were poor, but they gave anyway. It was a great sacrifice, but they did it with joy. Now, there's three levels of giving, less than our ability, according to our ability, and beyond our ability. Now, here's another statistic to throw at you. In America, 96% of Christians give less than their ability. 96% give less than their ability. 3% according to their ability. Less than 1% give beyond their ability. Less than 1% give sacrificially. So what does that mean to give sacrificially? to give beyond our ability. It means that we push our, push our giving past the point where the figures add up. It means following the prompting of God when he says, I want you to give that last $20 that you had set aside for groceries and you choose to give it according to what God has spoken. It means living with faith. Giving sacrificially means giving the best. If we had two blankets and one's better than the other, we gave away the nicer one, that's a sacrificial gift. We kept the lesser one for ourselves and gave the nicer one away. That's a sacrificial gift. David said in 2 Samuel 24, 24, that he wouldn't sacrifice anything to God that didn't cost him something. Sacrificial giving is not going to make human sense. You're not going to be able to figure it out in your brain. Because sometimes God's going to tell us to do something, and we don't see how in the world it's going to work out. God says, I want you to put on that pledge card that you're giving such and such amount of money. You're like, God, I don't even have that much. I want you to give that much money. 
and you write it down, and boom, somehow that amount of money ends up in your hand some way, somehow. And what do you do? You turn around and you give it just as God spoke to you. Because we're to think like Christ, not like the world. Scripture tells us that his ways are higher than our ways. It's not always going to make sense. You think to yourself, if I give 10%, how am I going to survive better on 90% than if I kept the whole 100? It's not going to make human sense. But God has all power. God's ways are higher than our ways. He can bless that 90%, and it can stretch further than that 100. A disciple of God, one of us, if you follow God, it's not, is not going to ask, how much can I keep? But it's going to ask, how much more can I give? Now, is it scary to give sacrificially? Oh, yeah. When you're stepping out to give like that, and you're thinking, oh, this is risky. As humans, we want that safety net, don't we? I, I, got, I need to have this backup plan, you know, just in case God fails, just in case he doesn't come through. But we know he can't fail. He'll do what he promised to do. It's hard to give sacrificially because we want to give to the point where it's just comfortable but it doesn't really affect us or affect our lifestyle without really feeling it. But when you give sacrificially to God's kingdom, we'll feel it, but it's not truly a risk. Because when you invest in the kingdom, you just keep on laying up treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven, treasures in heaven. And I would rather have an eternal treasure than a temporary one any day. Number seven, give excellently. Just like learning to play the piano, giving's a skill. It's a skill. With practice, you can get better at it. But if you don't practice it, you'll never learn it. It happens by doing. I could sit here, which I can not play the piano to save my life, but you could have someone that was a really good piano teacher <coughs> tell you this is how you do it, this is what the keys are, this is how, where you place your fingers. But if I never one time in my life went and sat down and tried to put into practice what someone had showed me or told me, I would never learn to play the piano. I could say, I've taken five years of piano lessons, and someone could teach me for five years, but if I never sat down and put my hands to the keyboard, I would never learn how to play the piano. It's the same way with learning to give. We can never truly learn how to do it unless we start putting it into practice. Giving can be something we learn more about. We can discuss it, pray about it, practice it, get better at it. And this doesn't just apply to each of us as individuals, but the church as a whole. Think about the church as a body. How many times have you heard people say, we're going to have an accountability partner, and are you praying? I had someone say, hey, are, are, you know, pastor, get up, and how many have you been faithful to praying every day? Hey, are you being faithful to reading your word? Are you in the scripture? Are you being a witness? How many of you went out and invited someone to church this week? We've all heard those questions, right? They're asked of us. But when it comes to giving, it's like, don't ask, don't tell, right? When's the last time someone come and said, hey, how are you doing in the area of giving? Did you pay your tithes this week? Did you give to God what belongs to him? How are you doing with that not robbing God business? Most people would look at us and say, that is none of your business, right? That's exactly, you know it's true. They say, that's none of your business. What if you were to ask one of our young people, I want you to point out someone in the church that's a prayer warrior, because I know they can teach me how to pray. Well, what if that same question was asked and said, can you point out someone you know is a giver and can teach me about giving? You see the difference? It's because of the subject matter. 
something that's more hidden and kept private, when really, in order for our next generation to learn, in order for people that come into the church to learn, we've got to talk about it. We've got to share about it. Because how will people learn if we don't? And we've got to have examples to follow. Because it's our responsibility to do our part to pass on, pass on that vision of giving. And one way we do that in this church is to share information with you about how the money from this church, where it goes, missionaries that it's blessed. As I said, channels of blessings, how this money has furthered God's kingdom. We share with you how the money blesses God's kingdom and how it's helped people. Number eight, give cheerfully. Scripture tells us that God loves a cheerful giver. He loves a cheerful giver. When our heart is in it, our giving is motivated by joy. And let me tell you, I love to give. I mean, it ain't nothing. If we're in a conference and they're asking for a special offering for a missionary and me and my husband are looking at each other, I'm telling you, God just, you know, he put us together. Then almost every single time he'll say, what are you thinking? And what are you thinking? You know, okay, let's write it down. Yep, that's what I was thinking. Let's give it. Because God deals with us. And we are so happy to give it. It's not like, oh, great, God said we got to give this money. Oh, no, it's like, all right, we got a chance to bless somebody. It's exciting. It stirs you up, and he wants us to do it with joy. Acts 20, 35, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. As I said last week, when we give, it blesses three people, us, the recipient, and God. Now, we shouldn't just be content with the first blessing, which eventually becomes a curse that's ours, when we just keep that money and spend it on ourselves. Because here's the thing. The blessing we receive when we give that money away is a whole lot greater than the blessing that we might get if we keep it. Listen to this. Tom Conway of the Generous Giving Advisory Council wrote this. I get great satisfaction by investing in God's kingdom. That's where I will live forever. And I want to help as many people as possible get there. I have made other financial investments, some good and others not so good. But you can never make a mistake investing with God. To be able to share our resources in such a way that they produce eternal dividends for the kingdom is pure joy. The joy comes from participating with God in the building of his kingdom, knowing that it will last forever. There is nothing you can buy down here on earth that's going to last forever. Clothes are going to fade. Cars are going to break down. Shingles are going to come off the house. Nothing down here is going to last. Nothing we buy down here, it's all temporal. But when we are giving to the kingdom of God, when we are investing in treasures in heaven, it will last forever, forever. So let me ask you tonight, do you lack joy in your life? Is it kind of a drudgery? Well, I'm telling you, you want more joy? There's blessing in giving. Giving makes us more like God. It makes us more like Jesus. Alcorn stated this, it isn't just God's way of raising money. It's his way of raising children. God isn't always using giving to grow or pay for a church or whatnot. God uses it to grow us. He goes on to say, if we're not cheerful, then the problem's our heart. And the solution is redirecting our heart, not withholding our giving. Because our heart is going to follow our treasure. Put your treasure in God's kingdom, and a cheerful heart will soon follow. Almost done. Roll into the end. Number nine, give worshipfully. 1 Corinthians 16, 29. Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come before him. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. The concept of worship and giving are directly connected. They are intertwined. Giving is worship, just like as much as praying or singing a hymn. 
Worship requires bringing an offering. When we worship, we're giving something to God, right? If it's verbal praise, I love you, Jesus. I worship you. I praise you. Hallelujah. That's giving him verbal praise. A physical demonstration of love. God, you are awesome, and we're giving you a wave offering. I'm giving something to him, a demonstration, and so on. And when we do the same thing with our giving, we're responding to God in worship. We're doing it from our heart. So when it comes to giving, giving is not about how generous we are. Oh, God, aren't you so proud? I mean, didn't I just do so good? I'm so generous. I gave so much to God. No, 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 no. It's about, God, I'm so thankful for everything you've done for me. And, God, this is the least I can do to give this to you. Karl Barth said this, grace and gratitude belong together like heaven and earth. Grace evokes gratitude like the voice and echo. Gratitude follows grace as thunder follows lightning. We have all received the mercy and grace of God in our life because every single one of us are dirty, rotten sinners that didn't deserve what he did for us. And the least I can do is be obedient to his word and offer him what belongs to him and then some. Number 10, give proportionately. The Old Testament tithe was proportionate based on each individual's income, and it's still that way. True generosity, though, it's not determined by what is given because it's just a tenth for each of us. It's determined by what is left. Now, if you were to hear someone say, wow, that person just gave $15,000, we might say, wow, they are so generous. But what if I then followed up and said, yeah, but that person's a millionaire? Well, that changes everything, doesn't it? Because that amount of money isn't much to them, right? It's not about what they gave, but what was left, what they kept. Because someone look at the widow that gave her two mites and say, that wasn't much of a gift. But then you learned, but she gave all she had. Wow, that was really generous because she gave everything. Now, most people, as their income increases, so does our standard of living, right? You make more, you spend more. That's just the way of it. Make more money, get a bigger house. Make more money, buy a nicer car. Most people spend what they make. That's why people live paycheck to paycheck. But what if, what if, just think about what if. What if as the income increased, you kept your standard of living the same? I'm going to stay in the same house, keep the same car, keep living at the same standard of living. But my income increased, so now I'm going to increase my giving. Food for thought. There are several people throughout the book that Alcorn cited who they said, this is what it takes for me to live. This is what it takes for me to survive. And as my income increases, I'm not adding that to my pocket. I'm just giving it to God. In fact, at one point, somebody talked about, they determined in this year, whatever year, that $32,000 was enough to live on in a year. But as they progressed, their income kept getting raised to the point that they were making I think an additional $40,000, $48,000 a year. You know what? They said $32,000 is all we need to live on. The rest of that's going into the kingdom of God. And they just gave it away. The thing is, we can't take none of it with us. We might as well use it for him, right? Just food for thought. A.W. Tozer wrote, Before the judgment seat of Christ, my service will be judged not by how much I have done, but by how much I could have done. In God's sight, my giving is measured not by how much I have given, but by how much I could have given and how much I had left after I made my gift. I don't want to be found wanting. 
God, help me to give according to your will. Believers, as they sense God's direction, can increase the proportion of their giving as God blesses them financially and as they learn to trust, as we learn to trust him more. I say we because myself included. Number 11, give quietly. Matthew 6, 1 through 4 says, Take heed that you do not your alms before men to be seen of them. Otherwise, you have no reward of your Father which is in heaven. Therefore, when thou doest thine alms, in other words, when you're giving of your money, do not sound a trumpet before thee, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may have glory of men. Verily I say unto you, they have their reward. But when thou doest alms, when you're giving of your offerings to God, let not thy left hand know what thy right hand doeth that thine alms may be in secret, and thy father which seeth in secret himself shall reward thee openly. In other words, when we give, it's not about making a show. It's not about trying to impress people. The verses that follow these continue to talk about prayer and fasting, but it starts out with giving. We're not doing this in order to impress people. We're not doing this to make a show of ourselves. We're not sounding a trumpet, here I come with my offering, so everybody can see. Brother Carpenter talked about a man that came to his church for a while, and every time this man would come up to him and hand him a check, say, Brother Carpenter, I want to give this in the offering. Would you hand that to the secretary for me? And Brother Carpenter kind of threw thrown off for a little bit, and the first couple times he took it, and then finally he said the Holy Ghost checked him about the motives and intentions of this man. And the next time he said, Brother, you know how Brother Brother, why don't you just put that in the offering tonight when they come around? And do you know this gentleman got mad? He got offended, left, didn't give. I mean, because his motive wasn't about giving. It was about being seen, right? Showiness when it comes to giving is never appropriate because giving's not about being honored by men but being seen by God. But sometimes our good deeds and giving are seen and known by others. And it could even come to serve the point of showing people the love of Christ. Because Matthew 5, 16 says, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Well, how can we reconcile these? Do your alms in secret, but let your light shine before men. Let your good works be seen. Because what it comes down to is what's the motive of the giver? What's the motive? When giving's done to impress others, it's wrong. But when giving is done and it's to bring glory to God, it's the right motive. It puts the attention in the right place. All glory to God. Our goal is to be rewarded by God for our giving, not by man, because we want our treasures to be in heaven. If you'll stand with me, I'll come to a close tonight. God blesses us with income and material things so that I can be a blessing to others. He provides for my needs, but he wants me to give generously. We pay our tithes. Notice it doesn't say that we give our tithes. We're not giving our tithes. We're paying our tithes. Paying indicates we owe that. That's a debt. We are required to pay. But we give our offerings. That's a free will choice of what we want to give. Now, it doesn't say don't give offerings. We give something. But what we give in our offerings is our choice. We give to missions. We give to the poor. But we pay our tithes. God entrusts me with his money. And the purpose is not to build my kingdom here on earth. It's not to have a big mansion down here and a five-car garage with five cars. And That's not his goal. God didn't give us the money in order to do things like that. He wants us to utilize those things to build his kingdom. 
So are you eager? Are you excited to invest in God's kingdom? Because the more we invest and give into the church, the more we can do for the kingdom, the more we can do for God, the more people we can reach with the gospel, the more things that we can do. I mean, I know because I'm married to the pastor, we've got great visions and goals and things we've written down that we would love to do. But as you all know, to do stuff takes money, right? I mean, right now we have a podcast that you can listen to audio, but I know several, I I even have friends and and me, myself at times, sometimes it's easier to watch something than to just listen to it, right? We would love to be able to set up video cameras and live stream our services and have the equipment we need to to finish out, finish in our our sound and make it like it needs to be, but y'all, that stuff takes money. And when there's only 10 to 25% of the congregation giving into the church, we can only do what we can do with what we got. But as more people give and allow God to lead them, then the more that we can do for his kingdom. And you guys, it's not about a big fancy church building. It's not about saying, oh, yeah, we're live streaming. It's not about that. The whole goal of this is to reach souls for Christ. Laying up treasures in heaven. And I want some of those treasures to be souls that are up there because of my investment into the kingdom. I'm not just saying investments in treasures in heaven. I know that there may be a mansion up there for me and streets of gold and gates of pearl and all that. But, man, what greater treasure could there be than to walk up there and have people, thank you for your gift. I'm in heaven because of your gift. I'm in heaven because you helped a missionary stay in his country. I'm here because you gave into your church and I saw your advertisement and I came. I mean, that's what it's about. That's what it is about. It's not about making money. It's not about a big bank account for us personally or for the church. No, 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 no. It's about investing so that souls can be saved. The thought of giving into eternity should get us excited. What if we had a portal that we could open up and we could just view into heaven and see the treasures that would await us if we were faithful stewards and generous givers? We would beg for the privilege to give. But unfortunately, we have our natural eyes, and sometimes the natural eyes down here, seeing the temporal things on earth, can distract us and blind us from the things that are in eternity. But as we learn to give, we will draw closer to God. But no matter how much we give, we cannot outgive Jesus, who was the matchless giver, the one who gave it all. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes became poor, that ye through his poverty might be rich. He came down from his throne in heaven and allowed himself to be born of a virgin in a lowly manger, went to a cross and suffered that we might have life and have it more abundantly. He deserves our all. And no matter how much we give, it can never equal or outmatch all that he has given us. God convict us if we give nothing. If we don't even do the bare minimum, God convict me. We owe him our lives. And we show our love and appreciation through our free will offerings. And we show him our obedience to his word through paying our tithes. Being a good steward is an important part of our Christian walk. If giving is a hard issue, we ask ourselves, God, can I truly be saved and on my way to heaven if I refuse to give? I encourage you, if you have never done it, start. I challenge you to try it. 
I'm challenging you tonight to take a 30-day challenge and prove God. If you do not pay your tithes or if you don't give offerings, 30-day challenge, prove God. Do it for 30 days and see what happens. Because I promise you, the things you're going to begin to gain, joy and peace and the knowledge of being obedient to his word, you're not going to want to stop. See what's going to happen in your spiritual walk. You'll probably be one of those families that gets one of those spiritual breakthroughs that, that you want too. God will honor his word. We've had enough scripture here tonight we've gone through that we see what God has said. So let's take a moment and let's just ask God. And I don't normally do this, but I just feel like we need to. I think that all of us here just need to take some time and let's just come to the altar, kneel down, find a place to pray and ask God to help us in our giving. If we already give, God, is there something more I should be doing? If I don't give, God, touch my heart. Let's all come. Let's all come and find a place to pray and ask God to deal with our hearts that we will be a faithful giver and a good steward. Hallelujah, God, as we come to the altar tonight. Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you and have a blessed day.